Welcome back, everybody. It's the Crowd Noise Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Martinez. On a Thursday in April, April 18th, 2019, on a gorgeous day outside. It's just fantastic uh, in our neck of the woods. The sun is out. The Toy Story clouds are out. The sky is the perfect shade of blue. There's a, it's not, I mean, above breezy, but below windy. So there's some kind of, uh, you know, wind current in the air, but nothing unbearable, nothing uncomfortable. It's just a fantastic day. This is like the definition of spring, like the, you know, warm weather, but not hot, Uh, you know, windy, but not, you can have a picnic outside if you want to. It's not going to, it's not going to ruin your day. There's no sandstorms outside. Uh, The sun is out. Like I said, it's beautiful. The clouds are just amazing. The sky looks fake. And you know, I don't want to turn into a I don't want to lead off the show with a conspiracy theory, but it's one of those days where the sky is so beautiful that it kind of takes you aback a little bit, where you kind of say, is that, that can't be real. Like it kind of, I almost kind of have to do a double take and say that's, that's almost certainly a projection. Like that is not how our, how the sky looks like. This is some kind of government conspiracy blocking us from viewing outer space because there's so much pollution out there. But then I take it back a step and I say, even if it is a projection, why not enjoy it? Because it's a beautiful one. Why try and, and you know, ruin our, our beautiful day with some depressing conspiracy theory? Um, so it's a beautiful day. And what makes it even more special is that we get to do a podcast today, as we do most every Thursday. But today is extra special, not because there's just great weather, but because the NFL regular season schedule came out uh, last night, or was it this morning, you know, in between last night and this morning, the regular season schedule came out for all 32 teams, all 17 weeks of the NFL season. So we're going to be talking about that for sure. Uh, but we have a basketball heavy episode this week. Um, we're definitely doing NBA playoff basketball. Uh, you know, the Thunder are down 0-2 to the Portland Trailblazers, and I picked them to go to the Western Conference Finals. And that was the one pick where I felt pretty safe making, to be honest with you. I mean, I was tentative about picking um, Denver. I was tentative about picking uh, Philadelphia. And both of those teams are in tied series 1-1. But I feel confident about Philly. Um, it's more so that I just, I like Brooklyn. I'm a fan of, you know, the way Brooklyn has constructed their team. I think they're going to make a lot of noise during the summer. But I think Philly will win that series. Denver is in a lot of trouble. I think even being tied 1-1 going to San Antonio, they're in a lot of trouble, but I still think they should win the series. Um, and that was about it. The other picks I made, I mean, felt confident in them. I, otherwise, I wouldn't have made those picks. I picked those teams because I thought they were going to win. Um, but the Thunder, I felt pretty safe. I felt like I was making a pretty safe bet there. Even though it was an upset as far as the seating, I felt pretty confident the Thunder were not only going to get past the Trailblazers, they find their way into the Western Conference Finals where they would ultimately be uh, you know, destroyed and dismantled by the Warriors. But they might not even make it into the second round. Uh, they're really, really struggling, so we're going to talk about that. There are some Lakers head coaching rumors floating around, and that's all they are at this point. Um, I'm not a big fan of talking about the Lakers anymore because the Lakers are irrelevant. Let's be honest, they're really not exciting. They're not an entertaining team. Uh, they're, not, they're not in the playoffs. I mean, as you may or may not have heard, they're, they're really not that interesting. But because they are the Lakers, let me backtrack, they're not a good team. 
They are not a good basketball team, but they are interesting because they're the Lakers. Everything that has, they're like the Dallas Cowboys of the NBA. No, no matter how good or bad they are, they are always news and noteworthy. So we're going to be talking about the Lakers head coaching rumors that are floating around. And then a basketball quote of the week, a very angry quote of the week, I must say. It's not going to be a great end- ending to the show. And not because I don't have a problem with the quote, and the quote itself is not an angry one, but I'm angry with the context of the quote. So we'll save that for the very end of the show. But first, let's go ahead and get started with our, um, with our playoff basketball, the Thunder uh, and the Trail Blazers. And then we're going to get into the Lakers and then NFL and then quarter of the week. That's how it's going down this week. Um, so here we go. The Thunder are down 2-0. They lost both games in Portland, neither of which were even really that close. I mean, the score, I think, in game one was a little bit closer. Um, you know, it was kind of close, but it really didn't reflect the pace of the game and how in control Portland felt. Game two, they just dominated. I mean, they just dominated from I mean wire to wire I don't know if they won literally wire to wire but they they were in command the entire game it really felt like they they were just in control and uh, the Thunder just had no answer Um, and everyone's pointing I mean first game one I said not a big deal because the Trailblazers just shot their minds I mean it was unbelievable I loved watching it because you know I like watching the three ball getting hoisted up from two steps inside of the half court line I love it. That's the kind of basketball I enjoy watching. So I had fun watching game one. Uh, the Trailblazers won, and the Thunder did not look very good, but I think they shot like like four for 22. or I mean, a god-awful number um, from behind the three-point line. And the Trailblazers shot terrific from behind the three-point line. So I said, okay, they won the game. Uh, you know, Russ played pretty bad. Paul George was kind of quiet. But it, it should not be... You know, it shouldn't be a big deal. It shouldn't be a cause for concern because how often are you going to shoot bad and the other team shoot great? That's just the perfect, you know, recipe for disaster in basketball. If you can't make shots and the other team keeps making shots, nine times out of ten, you're going to lose that game. So game one, I figured, not a big deal. Uh, Game two, they'll probably even up the series. They'll probably find, you know, the Trailblazers aren't going to make as many shots that time uh, the next go-around. The Thunder will make some of those shots that they were missing the next go-around. It'll be fine. It's all going to balance out. And uh, the opposite of that happened. The Trailblazers poured on even more threes than they did in Game 1. And the Thunder made even less game, less three-pointers than they did in Game 1. So not only did it not switch the way I anticipated to, the tides didn't just go back down. They rose up even higher. Things got worse for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, and a lot of people are pointing specifically their woes on the three, their you know their their struggles at the three point line. Uh, and as much as I love three point shooting, as much as I love three point shooters, I do not feel that games are won and lost at the three point line. I don't. I have to be honest. They are a big part of the game, especially in basketball today in 2019 in this modern era our contemporaries you have to be able to shoot but it is not the only aspect in which you can win a basketball game so I don't feel like that's a good pass to give to the Thunder well they can't make threes what are you gonna do the series is over well you adjust you find you know you find ways to get to the rim you get other people involved you find better three-point shots doesn't mean you just stop shooting the three entirely it means you find new ways to get guys open Um, you know even though they're not 
a traditionally a good three-point shooting team in the first place anyway, which is why I still don't think it's a huge deal, um, their lack of three-point shooting, because we knew they weren't a good three-point shooting team to begin with, so it shouldn't come as a surprise that the Thunder are struggling to make threes because they were never a good three-point shooting team. So that's really not a big deal. Um, if you want to improve your numbers, that's a better excuse, say, or you know, a better comment or you know, strategy going forward. Not stop. Your, your strategy should not be to stop shooting three-pointers. It shouldn't be to you know, say, we got to make better. Try to find better shots. That would be my advice. Don't just keep hoisting them up because you're not a good three-point shooting team in the first place. But the threes you do take, Make sure their quality looks uh, at the rim. It means you're open. Um, I don't know. You're in rhythm. You can focus on your shooting. Form. I mean, these guys are professionals, but you know there are times in the, where you just look at guys and you realize you you could see their feet aren't set. You know, it's a rushed shot. Why is that guy shooting that particular three? Like, make sure they're open shots. Maybe limit the looks you get in transition from three. In a half court, you know, move the ball around, use some off-ball screens and get uh, more wide-open threes rather than contested threes, you know, stuff like that. And then your percentages are bound to go up, number one, because you're taking less threes. And the threes you are taking are a higher quality of shots, so your percentage is bound to go up. Um, and you're, you're getting more quality rebounds because, you know, long shot, long rebound. The more threes you take, the harder it is to get rebounds, it, it, offensive rebounds. That's just, that's just a fact. So the less threes you take... I think the better possessions you're going to get if you're the Thunder specifically. If you're the Trailblazers, keep hoisting it because Damian Lillard specifically has just been unconscious this series. I told you guys I love Damian Lillard. I know I picked him to lose in the series, but I did say last week Damian Lillard is my guy. I mean, that's one of my favorite players. I feel kind of bad. I feel dumb now picking against him to win as much, you know, as big of a fan I am to pick against him. But I mean, I am not shocked that he's playing so well, but I am a little surprised at, you know, really how well he is playing because it's just a different level. I mean, he's playing at regular season James Harden level. He's he's unstoppable right now. Um, And because he's unstoppable, you look, well, who's guarding him? Whose fault really is this? You know, because people don't really like giving scores credit for scoring. We like to blame the defense, which I think is ridiculous. We need to give our, tip our hats to Damian Lillard. He's taking shots two or three steps inside the half court line and he's draining all of them every time the thunder made a run he would come down and he had a heat a heat check three i mean from the timeline it was ridiculous i mean just splash and then just being at home obviously that just shifts all momentum and it just killed any kind of run that the thunder were making um but who's guarding damian lillard how is he getting this wide open how is he getting so many points and looks and made shots from the three-point line and that's russell westbrook um, I defended Russell Westbrook a little earlier in the season. Kind of not really a basketball issue. It was the situation in Utah with you know the fan yelling obscenities at, at Russell Westbrook. I completely came to his defense in that scenario, but that really wasn't a basketball scenario entirely because it had, I mean, literally off the court. Russell Westbrook was on the sideline, but on the court, I am I am completely against him on right here. The Thunder are losing because of Russell Westbrook. Um, and I know it's a team game. It's a team effort. The whole team is really kind of slumping. But Russell Westbrook is the face and the soul of the Oklahoma City Thunder. He's the face of the franchise. So some level of blame has to fall on him. 
And he shot in game two, five for 20. Like, I mean, it's just, I mean, horrible, horrible numbers. And it's not even so much that he kept shooting because I am of the belief, you know, like with the Kyle Lowry situation where he went um, over, he didn't have any points in game one. And then he stopped, you know, like midway through the third quarter, he just stopped trying to score. He said, it's not going for me. I'm going to try try to facilitate some more. And they ended up losing that game because he was so passive. Um, I don't, I'm not a fan of that. If you're struggling, I do believe you, you do con- need to continue to get shots up. Because if you're, if you're 0 for 8 or 0 for 10 or whatever, that tells me that you quit. That tells me that you stopped trying to score and you, were, you, know, you became passive. I don't, I'd rather see a guy go 5 for 20. I respect Russell Westbrook for going 5 for 20 in this sense that he has a short memory. And I, I'm a firm believer, especially in basketball, having a short memory, whether things are going good or bad, each possession is, is it's, it's a new possession. So I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of guys who reflect, you know, cause if, again, if you go 0 for 8 or 0 for 10, that tells me you were thinking about the last few possessions and you're thinking about your slump and then you just kind of checked out offensively. I don't like that. So I don't have a problem necessarily with the five for 20, even though, I mean, it, the percentage, I mean, they speak for themselves. It's a horrible number. What I do have a problem with is that he does have a guy that he can defer to in the name of Paul George. A guy that who actually can shoot three-pointers. Not only can he shoot him, he's a good three-point shooter. Paul George, he, he can sling it. So I don't know why um, Russell Westbrook doesn't get him the ball more than he has throughout the series. Um, and I have his numbers right here. Shooting over the, the course of the series... Uh, he's 19 for 44, and it's only been two games. That's four, That's good for 43% from the field. Uh, he's 6 for 22 from three. That's not a good number. It's 27% uh, in the series. And if you divide that by two, and again, I don't know his exact totals from each game. I just have the whole series right here. But if you divide that in half, that's 22 shots a game. Um, that's only 22, uh, two more than Russell Westbrook. And that's where I have a problem with Russell Westbrook's intensity and his downhill. It's like he's trying to run through a brick wall right now. You have another all-star, another superstar on your team. At some point, they have to start getting the ball to Paul George. The offense cannot can no longer run through Russell Westbrook in this series. Specifically when you're struggling from three and the team that you are playing, the Portland Trailblazers, are lighting you up from three. You need a guy who can score from three. You need a guy who can get to the rim and finish. I mean, Russell Westbrook, obviously he's a slasher. He's a downhill guy, but it's not working. It's not working. He's five for 20, and that was just in game two. His numbers weren't that much better in game one. The offense needs to go through Paul George. He's their best player by far. Quite possibly the best player in the series. Outside of maybe maybe Damian Lillard. He's probably a better player than Damian Lillard. But right now, Damian Lillard is the best player, player in the series. Right now. But I think you need to get Paul George engaged way more than what he, than what he already is. I mean, 22 shots, that's not nothing. I understand. That's, that's a pretty good... You know, he's got, he got some looks. But it, it, it has to be more, especially in the postseason. Whatever it takes... It has to be at all costs, you know, get the guy to our best player. It doesn't even if it's Dennis Schroeder, 
get the ball to Dennis Schroeder. I mean, but at some point, they have to have a different strategy because they're already down 0-2. Now, they have the benefit. It looks bad right now because they're down 0-2 and they've been playing really bad. It'd be different if they were down 0-2 and they were playing well, um, but they're not. They're re- so it looks you know even worse. But they could easily win back-to-back home games. They're going back to Oklahoma City where you know they've traditionally, they've always been tough in OKC. That crowd is one of the best in all the NBA. So they could easily even up this series, which sounds good. I mean, they have to do it for it to, you know, for them to have any kind of hope. They have to win both because you don't want to go down 3-1 and then head back to Portland. You, you don't want that. So they have to win both games at home, which they, I think they are capable of doing. Will they? I'm not sure. From what I've seen, I would say no. But I know they, have, they definitely have the ability and they're comfortable playing in their home arena. But I think what they need to do, they have to get Paul George more involved. I think they need to get him more involved in pick and roll scenarios specifically because you want in the NBA, it's nothing but switches. I mean, I can't remember the last time I saw someone try and fight through a screen in the NBA. If you told someone to fight through a screen, they'd look at you like you like you were just speaking Mandarin. Like they, they wouldn't understand what you were saying because no one fights through screens. So what I would do, whoever Enos Cantor is guarding, who has had a fantastic series he was really the reason they won game one. Game one was a close game, uh, but Enos Cantor just put the Trailblazers over the top with his, I think he had 20 and 18 or something like that. Like, if you give me anything close to a 20-20, that's, that's a pretty big night. But he has his, um, he's not as good defensively. He has his warts defensively. So whoever Enos Cantor is guarding, that's who needs to give Paul George screens on the ball and force Enos Cantor to guard Paul George. I'd take that matchup 10 times out of 10. And conversely, when Russell Westbrook has the ball, we need to give Paul George off-ball screens. Get him open looks, like I said earlier. Quality looks at at the basket from three. Because they're going to have to make threes. Like I said, also, you can't just completely abandon the three-point shot. Not in today's game. No way. It, It just cannot happen. What they need to do is they need to start playing more... 2000 style of basketball with Paul George with the ball in his hands get him some screens he has to get to the rim when he doesn't have the ball in his hands however he needs to play more like Klay Thompson and try to and get more off ball screens and get more looks quality looks from three that's what they got to do and you know when you're down 2-0 you have to adjust you have to adjust your game plan you have to change something if you try the same exact thing that you tried in both games one and two I don't see how you can be any confident or how anything would change going into game three. And Russell Westbrook, while I do not want to take the ball completely out of his hands, we have to get him better, better, more quality looks. And I know it's hard to get, say, get Russell Westbrook quality looks because he's a point guard. The ball's always in his hands, and he's a downhill guy. His game is just driving straight to the rim. So at some point, I, I think this is why we need to get Paul George more involved in the first place because guys can just pack the lane and Russell Westbrook is just powerless. Damian Lillard has been just disrespecting Russell Westbrook all series, daring him to shoot, and I don't, I can't remember one time where Russell Westbrook actually punished him and hit a hit an open three. So he's not even hitting the open ones right now. So if we get Paul George more involved, you take a lot of pressure off of Russell Westbrook. The defense can no longer pack the lane and dare Russell Westbrook to shoot because they have to worry about Paul George. And oh, by the way, once you do that, the driving lanes open up and Russell Westbrook gets back to being the Brody. So 
Paul George is the key for the Thunder. I don't even that shouldn't even be a secret. That shouldn't be an X factor. It should be common knowledge that your best player is your number one option on offense. But that has not been the case clearly for the Thunder so far in this series. So Paul George has to get involved, has to start knocking down threes, which he's capable of doing because he's only 27% from three in this series, which is not, you know, that's really not good. But again, the more quality looks you get, the more threes you're going to knock down. It's not so much keep shooting them, turn it up to 11, let's keep shooting every time we cross half court. That's not the case. What you have to do is get more quality looks um, from three. So that's, and you have the best screener in the NBA in Steven Adams. I don't know, I would love to play with Steven Adams. I'd be coming off of off ball screens every single time down I came on offense. I don't understand why Paul George, and it's not so much Paul George, I think it's more schematic. I don't think it's Paul George not wanting to come off of screens. I think it's more of a schematic thing with the Thunder. They just look kind of discoordinated. There's not any flow, there's not any kind of chemistry on offense and then defensively um, which I thought is something that they could hang their hat on was their defense they're just getting lit up from all angles Seth Curry looks like his brother he looks like Steph Curry you know he's balling out I can't believe it he's actually you know a threat in this series it's, it's unbelievable I thought the one thing the Thunder could count on was their defense and that is not the case but I think you can combat that with scoring in the NBA it's all about scoring the buckets this game has and always will be about getting buckets so that's what the Thunder need to do they need to get Paul George more involved when the ball is in his hands get him some screens when the ball's not in his hands get him some screens that's what they got to do Paul George is the key for the Thunder to turn it around in game three uh, Russell Westbrook I don't want him to turn down his, his aggression offensively I want him to directed in another area he cannot continue to hoist up threes because it's not falling i mean he's, he's kind of in a shooting slump during this series it's only been two games but you can't say it's only been two games when you're down 2-0 it's already been two games and you haven't been able to hit anything from three they got to get to paul george and once they get paul george going i'm telling you russell west it's everything it's going to open up for russell westbrook this is why three-point shooting is so vital in today's game. I mean, obviously, just more threes are being taken than ever before. But I, th- I don't think it's invaluable to have Russell Westbrook or John Wall. Would I take Damian Lillard or Stephen Curry over both of those guys? Yeah, sure. But it's not, it's not like these guys don't have a place in the game today. What you need to do is you need to surround them with shooters so that way you spread the driving lanes. You just have to be creative with how you get these guys' looks. And I think right now there's no creativity in the offense. And it's really just let Russell Westbrook get to the rim, have him get fouled, and that's our offense. And then Paul George will get his. They need to be more creative. They need more screens. Um, and it sounds really easy because it is. I mean, it's really not that hard you know, to get three-point shots. It really isn't. You get off-ball screens. Um, and when you when you have the ball in your hands for Paul George, get him on ball screens and put him in pick and roll situations. Then he can get that switch with Enos Cantor, who isn't a very good defender in the first place. And then when you put him on Paul George, I like him even less as a defender at that point. So the Thunder going forward need to make some adjustments. Speaking of making adjustments, the Los Angeles Lakers are making some adjustments with their head coaching position. Uh, they already fired Luke Walton, which we talked about Last week or two weeks ago, you know, whenever Luke Walton got fired, we did a whole thing on that. Um, And I said I didn't want to talk about the Lakers again until July. And I didn't. But again, 
the Lakers are interested in their front page news. No matter how good or bad they are, it's just, that's just the world we live in. The Lakers are the most popular franchise in the NBA. So um, the two head coaching candidates that came out were the ones that were speculated. Monty Williams, Tyron Lue. Well, there's actually three, three to four. Um, Juwan Howard. And who was the third one? There was a, or the fourth one. There was another head coaching candidate. I can't remember. But he was a long shot anyway, so it wouldn't have been, I mean... His name escapes me, but it's not really hurting me because he wasn't going to get hired uh, anyway. Was it? Good Lord. Now it's going to bother me. I don't know. I can't remember that fourth guy, but it, wasn't a, it was a long shot anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Um, right now, it seems like it came out that uh, Rob Palenka had dinner with Monty Williams, whatever that means. Um, just say a meeting. Like, why do you have to tell people we went out to dinner? Like, I don't care. Like, because then the next, you know, there's some reporter, where'd you go eat? Like, who cares? Like, just say you had a meeting. Like, I don't need to know what you did. Like, I don't need to see Rob Palinka takes Monty Williams to Disneyland while discussing head coaching vacancy. Like, I don't care. Like, just say you had a meeting. Um, so they had a meeting while eating dinner. Um, on the East Coast, Coast, which I thought was kind of interesting because, you know, usually the Lakers in the recent history or in their distant history really always have used L.A. to recruit people. The city, the West Coast, the palm trees, as Stephen A. Smith likes to say they've usually had these meetings on the west coast in staples center so i thought this was interesting that they had this meeting with monty williams on the east coast uh he's the assistant coach for the philadelphia 76ers so he's still fully at work right now he's got a lot of work to do himself uh with the sixers tied with the nets 1-1 uh in their series so i get that that's probably the reason why he couldn't fly out to la and then fly back to Philly, um, to you know, have the have his game and then have a meeting like so. I I understand that and I appreciate that Rob Palinka accommodates Monty Williams. That's a very nice gesture. I think it's a smart one too because it's showing you know we're here for you. Because I think in the past the Lakers' problem was more um, you're lucky to be here and you should want to play for us or coach for us. We shouldn't have to um, recruit you. And I think that's why you know they use more so. LA the city the culture more than the actual basketball culture I think they took their winning for granted over the past few years so uh, I kind of like this that he actually went out or even just didn't wait to say okay well once the series is over once you guys are out or the season's over come to LA and we'll have our meeting no he just went straight out and he's already making moves so that I I applaud Rob Palinka and it said that Monty Williams is their first choice over Tyron Lue because Jeannie Buss and again, this is all reports. I don't have any sources. This is just stuff that I saw. <laughs> because I don't have sources. I'm going to be honest. I don't have any sources in the NBA. I don't have any insiders who are working for me. I have, I'm being totally honest with you. Let's be transparent. This is just what I've seen on television. And I'm telling you what I think about these reports. Um, but it said that Jeannie Buss does not want Ty Lue in the sense that she doesn't want to hand the franchise over to LeBron, which is something that I tend to agree with. Because when you are the Lakers, this is the first time that LeBron's ever played for a franchise that he's not bigger than. He was bigger than the Cleveland Cavaliers. They never won anything. He was bigger than the Miami Heat. They had never won anything. Oh, they did win with Dwayne Wade, but he was bigger than that franchise. LeBron James, while he is you know, one of the all-time greats, his legacy is not greater than the Los Angeles Lakers. So I do side with Jeannie Buss in the sense that you don't want to hand over the franchise to him. And again, you already know my stance. I think the Lakers should blow it up. I think they need to build 
for the future and for the long term. If you give LeBron James Tyron Lou, what you're saying is you're in it for the very short term. The next two years left on his contract, that's your championship window. At least if you have Monty Williams, you have a chance to bring in free agents. And that's why I like that the Lakers are going after Monty Williams. And I like that they've already said Monty Williams is their number one choice. Because he does have Team USA uh, experience. He will be coaching them, or he'll be an assistant. Greg Popovich will be the coach, but he'll be on the staff um, this summer. Actually, coming up in a no, yeah, this summer uh, in the Beijing World Cup. Something I cannot wait for. I mean, that's that's the next big crowd noise spectacular, the the FIBA World Cup. And then now I'm just getting off on a side, you know, tangent here. But next year I can't wait for the Olympics. But anyway, back to the Lakers. He does have Team USA experience, meaning he has ties and he's worked with the stars around the league. And like I said before, and I'm sure you've already realized, this is the biggest summer in the Lakers franchise's history. They have to land somebody. If they don't land anybody, or even if they don't get Anthony Davis in a trade, I mean, they're done. They, 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 they're, they're finished. So I would think it's wiser for them to bring Monty Williams. He's not a former Laker, so that kind of, you know, is... He's not from the Laker quote-unquote family. But if you bring him in to coach the Lakers, lo and behold, he's a part of the Lakers family. So I don't think that's a big deal because some people were saying, well, Tyron Lude not only has ties with LeBron, he played for the Lakers. Yeah, and his greatest moment ever for the Lakers was getting stepped over in game one of the finals. So where had, had he not gotten stepped over, the Lakers would have been the first team in NBA history to have swept the playoffs. They lost that game to Philadelphia, and then they ended up winning four straight and winning the finals in five. Uh, AI had a monster game one, and who was guarding AI? Ty Lue. So his time as a Laker is not very fondly remembered by Laker Nation. Um, and how do we know he's even a very good coach to begin with? Now, no disrespect to Tyron Lue, but are we quite sure that he's even a good NBA coach like are we definitively sure he's a great NBA coach I get yeah once LeBron left he was the team was they were terrible they fired him in, in a week and a half and in his defense that Cavs team without LeBron was god awful but in I mean they kept I can't even say the core because Kyrie had already left LeBron was gone they had Kevin Love but he's not the guy who's gonna win the games um but he wasn't very good I mean they were not they were bad, and they fired him for a reason in Cleveland. Do we know if he's a good NBA coach, or is he just a good fit with LeBron James? That is still yet to be seen. Um, Monty Williams, like I said, is a good coach. He's had success without LeBron. Not he hasn't won any you know, championships or anything like that, but he's a more than serviceable NBA head coach. And if you give him LeBron James, that would just be better. I want my coach to elevate LeBron James. I don't want LeBron James to elevate the head coach. So that's why I like Monty Williams. And I tend to side more with Monty Williams because of his Team USA background. He could, you know, if you bring him in early before the playoffs end, before free agency starts, there's, some, there's actually structure. There's some level of structure with the Lakers because you know who the head coach is. You know who the GM is. It's Rob Palenka, I guess. Um, so there's some level of structure. You know who you're going to be play for. You know who you're going to be playing for if you're a free agent should you decide to come with the Lakers. So I think that's very attractive for guys. And it's someone who you're familiar with. You know, guys that have played, you know, whoever's good there. I don't know the, the Team USA roster 
for this year, it hasn't been released. It's probably going to be not going to be released until like a week before the tournament starts because a lot of guys, you know, are undecided. But if it comes, if Kawhi plays for the for Team USA, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, all those guys, it's only going to add to the you know the kind of uh, it's only going to add to the media speculation. Are they coming to the Lakers? Is he recruiting? All this stuff. But it's not in a tampering environment. It's in a fun basketball, almost casual environment because they're Team USA. They're steamrolling everybody by 80 points. So it's almost like, you know, a summer workout, you know, really casual. So he could have a good chance of recruiting guys, uh, you know, in that scenario come this summer. And I actually, this came from Colin Cowherd, his sources. His insiders are my insiders because I I somewhat plagiarized from him. Uh, Not his his opinions, but I plagiarized his sources. Uh, It says that the late, or he said that his insider said the Lakers already have a replacement for Magic Johnson, but they are currently the president or an executive for a, a playoff team. Uh, yeah, I was going to say in the NBA, but yeah, duh. They're not going to bring in, they're not going to bring in Andrew Friedman from the Dodgers to be there. No, it, obviously it's in the NBA, but it is someone who is, has a playoff team. An executive for a playoff team has already basically agreed to join the Lakers, you know, once their season ends and is okaying all the moves that they're making right now. So the cur- the next president who will replace Magic Johnson has already given the thumbs up for Monty Williams. Now, who is it? I don't know. It's a mis- it's a mystery. Um, I would hope it's Masai Ujiri from Toronto because he has a very good relationship with Kawhi Leonard and, you know, he would know probably better than anyone except for Kawhi Leonard if Kawhi Leonard is leaving. So what better transition if you're Masai Ujiri to go from Toronto, who without Kawhi Leonard, Toronto's in shambles. That franchise is done. They have to reset. So what a perfect out. If Kawhi Leonard leaves, you can say you know, to the fans, well, our number one guy left. I'm, I'm out of here. You slide right into the Lakers. You bring in Monty Williams, who could potentially have some experience with Kawhi Leonard, You know, kind of build a rapport with him. And then you bring in a, a, an executive who Kawhi Leonard has, who is very fond of. They have a positive relationship. And with someone like Kawhi Leonard, who's, I mean, as nonverbal as he is, if you have a good relationship with him, that means a lot. So if the Lakers land Masai Ujiri, that's already two pluses in signing Kawhi Leonard. You bring in Monty Williams, Masai Ujiri, then, then you can kind of turn around and potentially stockpile, trade in your assets, Maybe make a run in Anthony Davis. Um, I don't think and David Griffin said that he's going to try and convince Anthony Davis to stay in New Orleans. Now, I think that's true in the sense that I do think he's going to try and convince Anthony Davis. But there is no way he's actually going to convince Anthony Davis to stay in New Orleans. He's gone. Absolutely gone. So, I mean, he's going to have to trade him. And potentially... You know, if Kyrie were to leave Boston, I think that almost, I think that takes Boston out of the running because you can't, you would have to include Jason Tatum in that deal. And then how much better do you make yourself if you bring in Anthony Davis, but minus Kyrie and minus Jason Tatum? Um, So the Lakers could have a puncher's chance at Anthony Davis, and especially because David Griffin is LeBron's boy and vice versa. So there's a connection there. He might try to hook up LeBron. And then you're talking about Kawhi Leonard. LeBron and Anthony Davis, all of a sudden, the Lakers are back to being the Golden Boys. So, I think Monty Williams is the right step. You know, they have a kind of a short list. I mean, I was surprised at how short the list was and how quick they came out with it. Um, 
I get, I shouldn't be surprised at how quick they came out with it because they knew they were going to fire Luke Walton months ago. But I'm surprised at how short the list was. Like there wasn't more, there weren't any more candidates. But Monty Williams has the crowd noise stamp of approval. I like that move. I'd be very disappointed to see them go after Tyron Lue. It doesn't make them any much better. They're just essentially the Los Angeles Cavaliers at that point. And then especially, what if you bring in Kyrie Irving? Come on, that doesn't make you any better. We already saw, like I've said before, we've already seen what Ky- with what Kyrie and LeBron have done, uh, you know, in respects to competing with the Warriors. Yes, they beat them, but they only beat them once, and it took the all-time greatest comeback potentially in sports ever to beat them. I don't think you're gonna, you know, recapture that moment in LA. So, you know, I, I'd be disappointed. Again, it's all Monty Williams may not even want to be the Lakers' head coach. We're all assuming that he's just gonna sign if the Lakers offer him a piece of paper. If Brett Brown were to be fired. I think Monty Williams would take that Philadelphia job and then he's out. He takes himself out of the race. So, I mean, it's not even set in stone right now that Monty Williams is coming to LA or he even wants to coach with the Lakers. Obviously there's an interest because he took that meeting where they had dinner, um, him and uh, Rob Palinka. So there is interest there, but I don't think it's necessarily a done deal. He might wait and see what happens to Brett Brown uh, come this summer, especially if, if they lose in the first round, the Philadelphia 76ers, I think Brett Brown is done. I think he's finished. And then Monty Williams would probably just take that job because you have younger players on that. You have younger superstars on that players than you would. Um, you have better young superstars on the 76ers than you do on the Lakers because, you know, Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma are all good except for Lonzo, but they're not as good as Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, and even uh, Jimmy Butler. So a lot to be, you know, a lot left that is uh, undetermined, I guess you could say, because... Uh, we don't know what's going to happen in Philly. We don't know what's going to happen with Jimmy Butler. Where is he going? We don't know what's happening with Kyrie Irving. We don't know what's happening with Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant. I mean, there's so much left, you know, in the air that all of this can change in a matter of minutes. It, it really can. So at this very point, I would say hiring Monty Williams is a, is a step in the right direction for the Lakers. But again, so much can happen from now until next season so we have we're not going to know until something happens or someone leaves someone resigns there's a trade there's so much left undecided in this nba season what we do know for a fact however is the 2019 nfl regular season schedule it just came out last night slash this morning um i haven't i'm gonna be honest with you I've looked at it, but I haven't completely studied it. I don't know all, however many hundreds of games there are in the season. I haven't revised or you know looked over every single matchup of every single way. I have to be honest with you, um, but I have looked at it, and uh, we're gonna look at this together, you and I, you and me, me and you, <laughs> um, and we're just gonna take a look at the best te- or the some of my favorite teams going into next year. This is not. I might throw out some, you know, I guess, um, like, guess records, just looking at the schedule. But uh, like I said, I haven't done my homework. I haven't really, you know, kind of slaved away and really dove into this just yet. So this is not my regular season prediction. I'm, I'm saving that till I mean, preseason, man. I'm, I'm not going to do that for a long time from now. But we will kind of maybe throw out some records here. Don't hold me to it because they're, I mean... Not subject to change. They are guaranteed to change from now until... Look, we're barely in April. It's not even May, and you want me to throw out regular season you know, records? I mean, I, I might 
take a guess, but some, I mean, like in the NBA, there's just so much left undecided. So with that, I mean, here we go. I'm going to start with just week one, you know, the kickoff, all the best games in week one. Then we're going to kind of go look at these contending teams or some of my favorite teams going to next year. And we're going to look at their whole schedule. Do not worry. We're not going to look at Tampa Bay or San Francisco schedule or anything like that, or Tennessee or, you know, Washington. We're going to look at all the teams that are relevant, okay? So I won't waste your time. But week one, uh, there are some pretty, I mean, it's week one. It's a kickoff. They got to have, you know, some marquee games, and they do. First one here, they are hi- they're all highlighted and color-coded. I actually brought, I made, I revised my mistake from last week where I didn't have a picture of the NBA bracket, and I was kind of winging it. I mean, not winging it, but I had to kind of envision in my head, you know, who plays who in the second round. I do have the picture of the entire NFL schedule here, so we are very prepared this week. This is a very well-thought-out episode of Crowd Noise. That's something that you can't say very often, but you get to say this week. So, I don't know the times for the games, but I do know the day, and some of them play on different days, so that'll just give away the time. But if they play on Sunday, I do not have the game times here for you, so, you know, uh, full disclosure there. Uh, on Thursday night, I guess the season starts on... Th- I hate this. You know what? I'm already angry. I'm already, I've looked at one game, and I'm already furious. Come on, man. Already, one game, and I'm already mad. Why on God's green earth does the NFL season start on a Thursday night? You already know my problem with Thursday games in general, but the, the pageantry... There's not even a level of pageantry, but you know, just the build-up, the excitement... For the NFL season, you have your fantasy teams drafted. You can't wait for the season to get started. If you don't play fantasy, you're just excited to watch your team again with all the hope of hoisting a Lombardi trophy in the first week of February. And we start on a Thursday night. Come on. I mean, it's just, well, the first game of the season, I guess, technically is on a Thursday, not on a Sunday. Uh, The Packers... And the Bears. Now, I, I don't even know if that game is, is relevant, you know, outside of it just being the Packers and the Bears, one of the great rivalries in football, um, because the Packers are not very good. They're just not a very good team. Uh, they had landed Antonio Brown, which is what I was kind of hoping for. Um, this would be a completely different scenario. I'd be excited for the game. I'd still be mad it was on a Thursday, but I'd be very excited for the game. I'm not even going to watch this. I'm going to be honest with you. We're probably going to have an episode that day in the morning or something like that, that Thursday morning afternoon i don't even know if we're going to talk about it because i don't care about thursday night games i don't watch football on thursday nights i don't i mean it is i don't i don't do much on thursday nights i mean it's not like i'm out you know on the town on thursday night but i don't feel like watching football on thursday nights just very uncomfortable unnatural but anyway that's week one the first game of the season packers and bears uh i kind of anticipate the bears taking a step backwards this year i don't know why i kind of have a gut feeling the bears are going to move back. They're not going to be as dominant as they were last year. So I don't know. That, may, that game might not be as enticing. You know, when we look back on the end of the season, that game might not be as exciting as we think it is right now. Uh, Denver and Oakland, is that a good game? No, it's not. Come on now. Uh, okay. I'm kind of just going through. Like I said, I, I don't have the whole thing memorized here. It's like 300 games on this chart. I don't have them all memorized. I'm not a... Uh, uh, I can't even think of the guy's name. From the movie uh, Imitation Game, Alan, he invented, uh, he invented the modern computer. Alan, I can't remember his name. 
you, if you've seen the movie, you know who I'm talking about. Benedict, Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, it's a fantastic film. Uh, <laughs> it's a great movie. He's like he's uh, like a computer scientist or something like that and during World War II, and he breaks the Nazi coding machine or whatever, and it, it's he builds basically the modern computer. Alan, I now I gotta look up his name. No, I can't. I don't have enough time for that. I can't type fast enough. But anyway, I'm not a Stephen Hawking. I don't have all 300 you know games memorized. Uh, Houston and the Saints. Now this is a game that's actually interesting. Okay, this is actually a good game. The Texans are good at football. The New Orleans Saints are also that. So this game will be much more entertaining than the Bears and the Packers. The Saints are another candidate. Oh, that one's on Monday night. So that's not even technically the opener. I, I mean, oh man, these, these different... Just keep football on Sundays and Saturdays, please. College on Saturdays, uh, NFL on Sundays, and Monday night, I guess it's a tradition now. I don't even like that very much. The Monday night broadcast crew is atrocious. It got a little bit better. It was an addition by subtraction, I guess, by getting rid of Jason Witten. They haven't replaced him yet, but it, it's just no fun. But anyway, the game, should, you should watch it for the game. Now, the Saints are another step-back candidate. Now, I'm not talking step-back like James Harden. I'm taking step-back like they're not going to be as good. I'm using a lot of waste. I'm wasting a lot of non-sequiturs today. Um, that's that's what you call a filler in the podcast business. Um, the Saints are another step-back candidate. They've already suffered two straight heartbacks in a row. I mean, heartbreaks in a row. Excuse me, I said heartbacks. Um I don't see them rallying around. I thought last year was the year for them to get to the Super Bowl and potentially win it. I don't see them getting back there for a third straight year and then getting over the hump. The third time's a charm. Football is an insanely grueling sport. It's hard to get to the conference championship. Well, they didn't get to the conference championship game two years ago, but I mean, they were pretty. They they were close. I mean, that Minneapolis miracle that was ridiculous. Another heartbreak, last second finish for them. Uh, they were just straight up robbed this year, but you know they, they lost. You can't go back and change it. I just don't think they can get back a third straight year. We already si- saw signs of Drew Brees deteriorating towards the end of last year, so I don't think he's just going to revamp it up. He's going to turn back the clock and carry them all the way back into the playoffs, back to the championship game, then finish it, and then play another game after that in the, in the Super Bowl. I don't see it happening. I think the Saints... Will they make the playoffs? I would assume yes, because Tampa, I mean, their division is very winnable. Um, you know, the Panthers are definitely taking a step back this year. They're without Cam Newton. Um, the Bucks are no good. And the Falcons, I, I've about written them off. I'm done with them. They're not the same. I kind of last year, I had some hope left in them. You know, could they turn it around? Uh, and then they, they missed the playoffs last year. They were no good. So I, they can definitely win the division. They will get back into the playoffs. But I don't know how competitive i don't know how far they're going to go in this upcoming playoffs almost a year from now basically so um but the game should be interesting to watch texans and saints monday night uh oh okay here's a pretty good here's a very interesting game week one sunday night the patriots and the steelers that should be a very interesting that game's always that's become like a new rivalry i guess you could say in the nfl they're always great games they're always close the Patriots usually win them, but they're all really good games. The first glance we get at the Steelers, minus Antonio Brown, minus Le'Veon Bell, but still exciting nonetheless. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. 
Juju Smith-Schuster, I think, is going to more than fill in the shoes of Antonio Brown. The same for James Conner. I don't think the Steelers are just going to fall off a cliff. I really, really don't. Um, I think they're going to be pretty good, and they could potentially win that division. I know everyone's high on the Cleveland Browns right now because, you know, they're really, you know, they're popular. I get it. And I'm a, I'm a Baker Mayfield fan myself. I, I don't have anything against him. But I just, I like experience. And I don't think, and the Steelers with a chip on their shoulder, I, I really like them this year. They're probably going to win the division. Again, don't hold me to any of this. Hold me to my predictions come, you know, preseason in August or whatever when I do my preseason predictions. Those are the ones you can hold me to. Um, Giants and Cowboys, that's not very interesting. Like three or four years ago, that'd probably be pretty interesting, but not anymore. And that's about it. There aren't any too many, I mean, like big-time games. Those of you Cleveland Browns fans are playing uh, Tennessee week one, but Tennessee, I mean, who cares? Like, who cares about that game? Like, I'm trying to find games with two good teams in them, and there aren't really many of those. I guess, yeah, that's it. That's really There aren't really many good games here. So let's start looking. Let's move forward. Look at the teams that I'm really actually interested in teams that I think are going to be good or potential playoff teams, potential Super Bowl teams next year. So let's go ahead and get it started. I guess we'll get, there aren't as many good teams in the NFC this year. I've sold stock on the Vikings. Um, like I said, I'm kind of, I've sold stock on the Saints. I think the Bears are going to take a step backwards. So the NFC is kind of wide open because it's not as good. Like last year, there was like six teams that could win it all. This year, I mean, or win the NFC and get to the Super Bowl. This year, I don't think that's the case. I think the Rams will be good. I think, they, I think they'll, they'll be pretty good this year. I don't think they'll take a step back. They'll take a step back, but not a large one. They will still be Super Bowl contenders. Contenders. I think the Cowboys will be good next year. Um, they have a very winnable division as well. Um, you know, I, and they're, they're so young that they've been taking steps up. They're not like, uh, excuse me, the, the Saints who are kind of aging, especially in the court, places you don't want to be aging and are, you know, retraction candidates the Cowboys because they're so young are only going to get better and they went into the second round last year they lost to the Rams who's a, a very good team there's nothing to be ashamed about there so I do think the Cowboys will be potential contenders to win the NFC this season I really really do especially with that defense and then after that I don't know how many teams in the NFC are like legit we're gonna have to see because during the season there will be a team that emerges as a surprise team in the NFC it's bound to happen, but at this point, I, I would kind of narrow it down to the Cowboys and, and the Rams. I mean, you can throw the Saints in there. I won't argue with you on that as contenders, but I don't think they will win the NFC, not at this point. So let's go ahead and get started with the Dallas Cowboys. Week one, they play the Giants at home. I'm just going to read it all through here, and then we're going to come back and recap. Then they go on the road to Washington. They get the Dolphins. They're on the road to the Saints. Week four, that's a Sunday night game. Then they get the Packers at home. On the road in New York, they play the Jets. That'll be interesting to get to see Sam Darnold. Uh, then they play Philly at home week seven on a Sunday night. That'll be, those games are always great, Sunday night games, NFC East. And then they get a bye week right in the, directly in the middle of the season, uh, week eight. So they will, get, they will finish the season with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine games. They will have played nine straight games heading into the postseason. So that, I mean, definitely could change the way I feel about them heading into next year's postseason. They should win the division, but if you're playing, you go into the postseason having played nine straight games, you know, injuries pile up no matter what in football. Whether you have the injury bug or you're not, you're going to have injuries in, in football. It's just, I mean, a fact of life. So I don't know how much I like that bye week. It, it could be worse. I mean, it could be like week four or something like that. I think the earliest bye here 
is for this uh, the 49ers. They have a bye week five. That's really, really tough. And I think that's the earliest bye of the season. Yeah, it is. So the San Francisco 49ers will be the first team with a bye. So it could be worse, but it's not ideal. I'd like to see them have a bye later on in the season, like week 12, 13, something like that. I'd, I'd feel more co- confident in them uh, in that sense. But anyway, after the bye, they're on the road um, in New York. They will play the Giants, so they will play two games in MetLife Stadium this year. Uh, that one's a Monday night football game. I don't know if I said that or not yet. Then, man, they got a lot of primetime games next year, the Dallas Cowboys. They have another Sunday night game the very next week against uh, uh, the Vikings. That should be a pretty good game. I like uh, Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs. Those guys are fun to watch. Then they get sort of a second bye week. They go on the road to Detroit, play the Lions week 11. Then a really tough one for them. This game will be fun to watch. Uh, they go on the road to Foxborough and play the Patriots. Interesting. Week 12. And then here's the thing. The Cowboys have the best. I guess there's kind of a trade-off. You have a some semi-early buy. But the Cowboys are the beneficiaries. Of, they don't have the Thursday night lag. Now, teams loathe playing on Thursday night because they get a short week. You have to play Sunday, and then two days later, you're already getting ready to play again. I know, I know Thursday is four, game, four days away from Sunday, but you don't practice for three straight days. They have a day off before the game. Um, so you're basically, you get like one or two practices in. <clears throat> Excuse me. Wednesday, you're like, you're traveling, and Thursday, you play. So that's, I mean, it's a really quick turnaround. But the Cowboys, because they play every year on Thanksgiving, and they got this last year, they play two weeks in a row on Thursday. So it's basically, you get a full week it, it's like a it's like a regular week for them. They don't have that Thursday lag on on uh, Thanksgiving. They play the Buffalo Bills at home. That's on a Thursday, obviously being Thanksgiving. And the next week they play Chicago uh, in Chicago, I mean, which is always a tough environment. But they're coming off a full week of rest, so they won't. There's no um, weird schedule. It's almost like a regular week for them, and then they they get the benefit of an you know a kind of an extra three or four days going into their next game, which they're going to need because they play Week 15 against the Rams, so they will be more than well-rested to play against the Rams. Uh, that is just a regular Sunday game, Week 15. And the last two games, they play on the road to Philly, and then they get Washington at home. So not an incredibly grueling schedule as far as who they're playing. They have some tough teams. They got New Orleans. They have, uh, I mean, Green Bay. I don't think they're very good, but they're very good when they play the Cowboys, so I don't think that's that's a tough game for them. Uh, on the road to Philly week 16, that's always pretty tough. Chicago, uh, and then Minnesota. So they have like three or four pretty tough games, but for the most part, the season is, is favor. I mean, it's, it's workable. You get the dolphins, you get the jets, uh, and you play the AFC East, um, and then the bills too, as well. The only team that's tough for that division is the Patriots. So you get basically three, you know, very manageable games against, you know, the jets, the bills, and the Dolphins, so they, I mean, they got some breaks there. So I don't, I like the schedule. Um, I just do think it's going to be a little bit tough for them playing nine straight games and then heading into the postseason. Uh, only time will tell how well rested they are and how many injuries have piled up or, or have it for them. So uh, I'd give this grade a, a B plus. I didn't, I didn't know we were grading them, but I, I like the schedule for the Cowboys. And going on, let's just stick with the NFC teams, and then we'll do the AFC teams. After that, the Rams. Now they let's let's look. No, week one at Carolina. They get New Orleans at home. That'll be a fun game. Uh, then they go on the road to Cleveland. That's a Sunday night game. Here's a little nugget for you for Cleveland. It's the first time they're on Sunday night in over 
11 years or over 10 years they haven't been on Sunday Night Football. It's the first time. The Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham Jr. effect. So uh, that'll be interesting. It's the first time we get to see the Browns on Sunday night in a very long time. That's week three for the Rams and obviously for the Cleveland Browns. Then week four, they get uh, the Bucks, which is a very, I mean, so they get two bye weeks as well. Then thir- they get their Thursday night pretty early in the season. Week five, they're on the road to Seattle. They get San Francisco. Then they're on the road to Atlanta. And then week eight, oh, okay, here's a pretty tough one. Week eight, Cincinnati. Now, that's not a very good team, but they are playing that game in London. So that's always a really tough stretch, you know, for teams when you have to play overseas. It's just a big hassle. But they do get a bye week directly after their London game. And I'm looking right now, every team gets their bye after they play that London game because it just takes a big toll on teams. So that's actually kind of smart that they scheduled it that way. After you go in that, you take that long trip, then you play a game at what's like 7 in the morning, your local body time. Um, you get a whole week off. So they do get a bye week 9 after they play Cincinnati. Then they come right back, and there's no breaks for them after this. They go on the road to Pittsburgh, then they get Chicago Sunday night at home. Then they play... Uh, Baltimore at home on Monday night. Uh, then they kind of get a break here on the road to Arizona. Then it starts right back up. They play Seattle Sunday night at home. They go on the road to Dallas. They go on the road to San Francisco, and then they end the season uh, at home against Arizona. So there's what I see here with the Rams schedules. There's kind of hills and valleys here. There's really tough stretches, and then they get two, you know, like two or three weeks in a row where they get some pretty uh, manageable games, like. Coming out of their bye, they get one, two, three straight tough teams, Steelers, Bears, Ravens, and then they get a break with um the Cardinals and somewhat Seattle. Then they are, you know, Hills and Valleys. They get the three straight games against tough teams. They get a Valley with the Arizona easy game. They get two tough games against Seattle and Dallas, and then they end the season with two very manageable games with the 49ers and the Cardinals. So the Rams have, you know, kind of an up-and-down schedule. Um and you see it in the beginning of the season, two, three straight games against Carolina, who's going to have a tough defense. They should win that game, but it'll be a tough one. Then the Saints and the Browns, who are no slouch, and they get uh, Tampa Bay, which is a break. They're on the road to Seattle on a Thursday. That'll be a, they're probably going to lose that game. But then they get San Francisco, Atlanta, and Cincinnati, who are three not very good teams, and then they get a bye right after that. So they kind of have you know some tough stretches and then some stretches where they can kind of recharge. So this Rams schedule, very workable in a very winnable division, the NFC West. Their only challenge there are the Seahawks. I don't think the Seahawks are good enough to beat the Rams uh, and win that division. So they will definitely be back in the playoffs. Moving on to the AFC. Now we're going to skip some of the NFC teams here. I don't see many of the, Oh, we'll do the Bears. We'll do the Bears uh, real quick. They do... Uh, well, not real quick. Nothing on this show is ever really quick, but we're going to do the Bears. Uh, week one, obviously, they play uh, the Packers, as I ranted before, on a Thursday. And then week two, here we go. Uh, they're on the road to Denver. And then Monday night, they're on the road to Washington. They get the Vikings at home for week four. They themselves have a London game, week five, against the Raiders. Uh, and then they obviously have their bye Week six, which is really tough. I don't like that. I don't like when teams have their bye early on in the season. I think it takes a toll on you, you know, especially if you want to get into the playoffs and you want to make a run, potentially get to the Super Bowl. How many weeks in a row have you been playing? So they get their bye week six. That's very early. I was complaining about the Cowboys a week eight. The Bears have it two weeks earlier. So then they come back. They play the Saints at home, the Chargers at home, 
They're on the road to Philly. Then they finally get a break against the Lions week 10. Uh, then Sunday night, they go on the road to L.A. and play the Rams. Uh, they get the Giants at home week 12. And then they, ha- they as well, similar to the Cowboys, have two Thursday games. They will play Thanksgiving in Detroit. As they, Wasn't that the game last year? That was the exact same Thanksgiving game last year. And I'm not, I'm not complaining, but I mean, schedule, I don't know who made the schedule. They got to put in some different matchups there. Uh, but they do go on the road to Detroit for Thanksgiving. And then they play Dallas the next Thursday. So they get a full week of rest as well. They will play the Cowboys at home. Then they go to Wisconsin. They play Green Bay on the road. They get Kansas City at home on Sunday night. What a game that's going to be. That was a game I wanted to see for last year's Super Bowl. When the playoffs started, I wanted more than anything the Bears and the Chiefs in the Super Bowl because I wanted to see the offense against the defense. The ultimate unstoppable force meets a movable object. I wanted to see that. But we get it week 16 of this regular season, and then they finish the season on the road to Minnesota. Now, the Bears, I don't like this schedule for them. I really don't like them playing. Uh, well, in London, I don't like that for anybody. But And then you get your bye week very early in the season. They have a really tough stretch uh, in the middle of the season. Saints, Chargers, Eagles, three straight games, and they get one game off against the Lions, but then they get right back to it. They play the Rams in week 11. So that's like four straight weeks of tough games uh, for the Bears. And then they have two Thursday night games. Well, like I said, that, that shouldn't have too much of a toll on them because they do get a full week off for the next Thursday. But, uh, you know, the the Bears do not play in a very winnable division. I, I did say I sold stock on the Vikings, but they could very well. I could see them challenging the Bears for that division. And Aaron Rodgers, now, while their team is not very not much better as far as the roster, I'm not counting out Aaron Rodgers. You know, I didn't count him out last year, too. So uh, it's going to be tough for the Bears to kind of repeat as division champions, especially with this schedule. Now, they do start off kind of on the right foot. They get uh, Denver, Washington, back-to-back weeks two and three. And then they get Oakland in London as well. So even though that's a tough travel, they should win that game. Um, so that you're looking at worst-case scenario for them, three and two going into week five. Worst-case scenario, they could easily be four and one. They get Green Bay Thursday night. They, could probably, they, could, they should win that game. Uh, they should beat Denver. They should beat Washington. Let's just say for the sake of the argument, they lose to the Vikings. And then they beat the Raiders. So they could start off on a very, you know, really high note and go 4-1, and one, and then kind of fall back down to earth in that three-game stretch uh, against the Saints, the Chargers, and the Eagles. You know, maybe you take one out of those three. I think that'd be good for them. What does that leave them at? We said they were 4-1, 2-3, 5-3. Three, three. I mean, that's still you're still in pretty good shape with a winning record going forward with about half the season to go. So uh, the Bears can win the division, but it's going to be pretty tough for them, especially with that three-game stretch. Now going to the AFC, officially... Let's do the Indianapolis Colts. I love the Colts, man. I, I think they're going to really make some noise in the AFC this year. Big fan of Andrew Luck. I love their offensive line. They, similar to the Cowboys, have a very young defense. They're only going to get better. So let's look at, at the Indianapolis Colts here. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's uh, third time today. It's really, um, I'm not used to the spring oxygen. There's a lot of pollen in the air uh, these days. Again, there's the last time. Okay. Uh, the Colts, where are you? Okay, so week one, they start off with oh, a pretty tough tough start. On the road to the Chargers, then they go on the road to Tennessee. They get Atlanta, then Oakland. Then they're on the road at KC. 
Sunday night, that'll be a great game. Can't wait to watch that one. Then week six, they do have a pretty early bye as well. No London game for them, however, but they will be on a bye uh, week six. Then they start up again. Uh, They get Houston at home, Denver at home. They go on the road to Pittsburgh. They get Miami at home, Jacksonville at home, uh, on the road to Houston, Tennessee at home. They play Tampa Bay uh, in Tampa. They go on the road to New Orleans. Carolina at home week 16 excuse me and then week 17 they're on the road to Jacksonville so looking at this schedule they do have or did I confuse two teams because they're all listed next to each other I did no I didn't excuse me because they're all listed here like on a graph so sometimes like I I look back and, and I'm looking at the wrong team but no I got them right I got them correct okay so what I've noticed here right off the bat they have a lot of tough games on the road. I mean, you look at obviously the, this is going to be the toughest division in football. This is going to be the toughest division in all the NFL. You have the you have the Jaguars, who I think should be better with Nick Foles. I don't know if Super Bowl contenders, but they will be better. Uh, the Texans, uh, the Colts, obviously, and then even the Titans. You know, who aren't they made the playoffs last year? So I mean, they're while they're not very exciting, they are a good team. So I mean, they're no pushover. Are the Tennessee? Titans. So all those they're going to play all those teams on the road. Obviously, they go on the road to Kansas City, on the road to Houston, on the road to Jacksonville, especially week 17. I think that could be uh, very interesting depending on how, you know, all their records shape out to be. That could potentially be a play-in game. But then also their non-conference games, uh they go on the road to the Chargers. Um or excuse me, the Chiefs aren't even in their division, but they will play the Chiefs on the road anyway. That's a very tough game. Their non-division games are very tough. They're all most of them are on the road. They play the Chargers on the road. They play the Chiefs on the road. They play the Steelers on the road. Um, Tampa Bay, that's a that's a pretty easy one on the road. But they do play New Orleans uh, in the Superdome. So most of their tough games here are going to be, you know, obviously on the road. They're going to be traveling a lot for those games. So I think that's pretty tough. You know, look, I I'm not selling stock on the Colts here because I like them a lot, but it's going to be a it's going to be a grind their regular season obviously playing in the AFC South where any one of those teams can win the division and then getting their non-divisional games most of them on the road against really strong competition um uh that's it's going to be really tough for the Colts this year it was a really really hard uh, regular season schedule for them now moving on to the Kansas City Chiefs Showtime Mahomes week one he's on the road to Jacksonville then on the road to Oakland that should be a fantastic fantasy game uh and then Baltimore at home week three at Detroit week four they get the Colts um at home Sunday night as I said before uh that's gonna be that's gonna be a great game I can't wait to watch that um Texans at home Denver on the road Thursday night they get Green Bay at home the next week uh Sunday Sunday night they get the Vikings at home they're on the road to Tennessee they play okay. They do play a Mexico a game in Mexico this year because I think what happened was they skipped last year's because the whole the field and they were that was the game they were scheduled to play the Rams and I'm glad that they moved that game to the Coliseum because that was by far the best game all season last year postseason regular season that was the best game uh, so they go back or te- they don't technically go back but they do get uh, a second game scheduled in Mexico this year uh, against the Chargers and then they have a very late bye oh you know I love that week twelve they get a bye. Um, then they come back home. And they play Oakland week 13. So another great fantasy day for Showtime Mahomes. Then they play at New England week 14. I, well, that's going to be a fantastic game as well. I can't wait. 
this this is terrible. I mean, we're looking at all these great games, and it's only April. We have to wait not even not even for the season to start, but imagine and then fourteen more weeks after that, or thirteen more weeks after the season starts. So a very long wait to see Brady Mahomes round three, right? Because they played um, in the postseason, obviously, and they play they played in the regular season as well in Foxborough. This one is also in Boston. Uh, but a great game nonetheless. That game better be on TV because it's not a national. It's not a Sunday night game. It's not a primetime game. But that game, that game better be America's game of the week. That has to be nationally televised. Then week fifteen, they get the Broncos on the road at the Bears, and then uh, week seventeen, they get the Los Angeles Chargers. So, uh, what I'm seeing here is a kind of a an easy start for them, and then it kind of it gets real tough heading into the uh, later on in the season. Jacksonville, Oakland, Baltimore. Well, Baltimore is pretty tough, but they should beat them. Uh, and then Detroit. So the first four weeks of the season, three of those games are they they should comfortably win. You know, even Jacksonville. You know, Jacksonville wasn't able to stop Kansas City last year. Or did they play? They didn't play last year, did they? No, but I mean, I I don't anticipate. I mean, Jacksonville had a rough year last year defensively. Uh, they bring in Nick Foles, which should make them better. But I don't know if they can beat Kansas City, you know, straight out of the gates week one. Uh, so three out of those four out, yeah, three out of those four games are really comfortable. I mean, really workable games. The one game that's really tough, obviously, is Baltimore. But they get that game at home. They do play in Arrowhead Stadium. They're not going to have to travel or play on the road, so that's good for them. Uh, then they get on, on the road to Detroit. Then it kind of gets a little tough for them. They play uh, the Colts, the Texans. The Broncos and the Packers, then the Vikings. So that's like three or four games in a row with you know really tough competition. And they get uh, the Titans, who I, again are no slouch, and the Chargers in Mexico. Uh, they come back play the Raiders, and then it's, they have a really they probably have the toughest last four games in the league. They play the Patriots on the road, then they get Denver at home, which is good. Uh, then they play Sunday night in Chicago on the road late in the season. So it's going to be cold and windy in that game. Uh, and then they get the Chargers, who are a very good team at home week 17. So um, like I said, like I said, kind of a smooth start for them, but a tough ending to the season. So we'll see how that shakes out for the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, we've already gone over half an hour. And that's not all the – like I don't only anticipate three or four teams being contenders. But that's the only – only teams that I feel are relevant to me like I don't think any other I I don't have much interest in many other teams I'll tell you what we will do the Cleveland Browns to end it then we will go to the quote of the week and this one we actually will make uh pretty quick now Cleveland let's go okay week one they get Tennessee at home then they go on the road to the Jets that'll be a great game Sam Darnold uh Baker Mayfield round two this one is in uh MetLife last year was in, uh, I don't know the name of the Brown Stadium. I'm not sure Baker Mayfield knows the name of the Brown Stadium, but that last year was in Cleveland. Then week three, Sunday night, they get the Rams. That should be interesting to see. On the road to Baltimore, on the road to San Francisco, they get Seattle week six, and then they get a bye week seven. Not terrible, but not where I would like it. Uh, then they go on the road. They play the Patriots in Fox, bro. That's going to be a great game to watch. Uh, I'd love to see how Baker Mayfield goes at uh, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady and, and vice versa. Then they go on the road again, play Denver week nine. They get Buffalo at home. Uh, another interesting quarterback matchup, Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield from the same draft class. Uh, that'll be fun to watch. Then they get uh, Thursday night, they play the Steelers at home. 
Uh, they get the Dolphins at home. They go on the road to the Steelers week 13, so they'll play them twice in three weeks. Uh, the Bengals at home week 14, then they go on the road to Arizona. That's a good win for them. Uh, week 16, they play Baltimore at home, and they finish the year week 17. Did I say that right? Week 17. Once you start talking for a while, even if you say things correctly, they don't sound like you said them right. Week 17, they go on the road and play the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, this schedule, looking at it here, they have, okay, here's the kind of double-edged sword. The better you are, the tougher competition you play. They get the Rams, the Patriots, um, the Steelers. Well, they play the Steelers in their division. Um, And after that, I mean, it's not, they have, some tough games, and they have some very workable games. I mean, they, uh, they play the Jets. They play the AFC East, which is, you know, like I said with the Cowboys earlier, that's a division you want to play because outside of the Patriots, those are, I mean, three pretty comfortable wins, the Jets, the Dolphins, and the Bills. So there's that going for them. But then they do get really tough matchups as well, the Rams uh, and the Seahawks, uh, obviously the Patriots. But they do get those two games at home. They will play the Rams and the Seahawks at home. So that's a plus for Cleveland. Um, and again, these are, I'm not really throwing out any any records, you know, potential records, because we're, we're going to save that for later on in the year. Uh, but again, a Cle- I like the schedule for. Cle- I'm saying I'm like I like everyone's schedule. The only one I kind of didn't like was it the Bears? I think it was the Bears. Yeah, it was the Bears. Out of all these, who have the tough? Oh, and the Colts. The Bears and the Colts have some really tough schedules. Um, but other than that, you know, Cleveland's is not terrible. It's not easy, but it, I mean, it's not impossible for them to win some games and have a winning record. So. Those are all of our all of our important uh, regular season schedules for this year. Now we're going to go ahead and close it out with the quote of the week. Okay, so here we go. Quote of the week. We like to end this. We like to end every show, or most every show. We don't do it every single week because sometimes it's sometimes it's hard. Okay, this is it's not a total cakewalk uh, doing this show. Um, and we find the best quote or the best thing I saw all week, and then we put it at the end of the show, and then we call the segment the quote of the week. That's how that's how we do things around here. So here we go. Uh, quote, this situation is still a shock to me. I have ruptured my right Achilles tendon. Brianna Stewart, after rupturing her right Achilles tendon. Now, this is what I said earlier, way back when in the show. Uh, this was a very angry quote of the week. And the quote itself is not angry. The situation is still a shock to me. I ruptured my Achilles tendon. Not too much malice uh, in those words there. But I'm angry. I'm upset. Brianna Stewart, if you are not familiar with her, you should be, but in case you aren't. The reigning MVP, most valuable player in the WNBA, uh, had tore or ruptured her right Achilles tendon playing overseas. Um, in during the WNBA's offseason. Now, don't get it twisted. I am not mad at Brianna Stewart for playing in a league dur- you know, outside of her regular league. She has, quite frankly, no choice. Um, what I am angry at is the pay gap between the WNBA and the NBA. Now, I get, you know, they cannot pay, you know, WNBA athletes the same number i mean lebron j what does his contract look like it's absolutely ridiculous but the wnba has to increase their pay salary i mean the average i believe the average salary in the wnba is like 40,000 and the average salary the average in the nba 
is 4 million. So when you talk about that big of a gap, most the, we're talking about Brianna Stewart, the best player, the MVP, reigning champion for the Seattle Storm, has to play overseas just to make ends meet. Now she's of course I would never say I don't, I'm not going to talk about her financial situation as far as she's struggling or anything like that, but these players aren't playing overseas just for the love of the game because they just want to keep playing nonstop. They're playing it because they actually get paid more overseas than they do in the WNBA. So, I mean, it's it's just absolutely disgraceful. And the best player, this is what happens when you put this kind of stress on your body playing nonstop. I mean, just games all year long. That's not even counting your workouts, the practices, all that stuff. You know, going in the postseason, playing in tournaments, championships, all that stuff. This is like almost bound to happen. You play these games, you, know, you put so much stress on, on your body, your injuries are almost guaranteed to happen. And this is what happened to Brianna Stewart. She's out for a whole year. This is what happened to Kobe Bryant. It happened to DeMarcus Cousins. You're out for a year. This does not even include the time it takes to rehab or how long it takes until you're ready to play again. She's out for a whole year. The WNBA has a problem on its hand. It has to increase the pay salary. Uh, this is from Jalen and Jacoby, another great show on ESPN. I think it was 2005. Uh, Diana Taurasi, another WNBA legend, skipped a whole season to play overseas. Um, and in that, or she made, in 2005, she made $1.1 million playing basketball. She made the $1 million playing overseas. The point one came from the WNBA. So, I mean, it, it, it's absolutely terrible, you know, the situation that's going on. They have to improve things. things something has to be done. And WNBA players need a higher salary. It's unacceptable that our players have no choice but to play overseas. And now Brianna Stewart is out. You know, she's out. She can't play for a whole year. It's absolutely terrible. So, uh, you know, I said it was an anger. I'm really upset about this situation. Love Brianna Stewart. One of my favorite players. And I'm sad. We don't get to see her for a whole year. She's out. She cannot play. It's, it's a travesty. It really is. We have to get her. And the rest of WNBA not e- I mean, of course, the NBA's pay is absolutely r- ridiculous. I mean, maybe the most highest played players in all the sports, but I mean, there has to be an improvement. You go, you go from forty thousand to four million, unacceptable, absolutely unacceptable. So, with that, you know, take that food for thought. That is the end of our show this week. You can listen on Apple Podcasts. You can listen on Spotify or Anchor Podcasts. You might already be doing that. Currently, if you're listening to me right now, that is exactly what you're doing. Uh, NBA playoff games every single day. Uh, so we're gonna def- we'll have something to talk about, almost guaranteed by next week. Uh, enjoy the games this weekend. Uh, and I will talk to you next week.